We got Anthony on the line. What do you want to ask him? I've been really, really struggling to get that first deal. You have no control over when the, that perfect deal is going to come up. And so in the meantime, you really need to be working on two things in particular. One is honing your skills and honing your network. Be using this time to say, okay, the deals are going to come. I don't have control over that. But in the meantime, here's what I'm going to work on. Here's what I'm really good at. Like identify your strengths and identify your weaknesses, and then use that as a template to go and find the perfect partner who has all the, the complementary strengths and weaknesses. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 157 and part of our Ask the Expert series. Today, we bring on experienced investor Anthony Vecino and aspiring investor Trevor Thompson. Keep listening to hear more about how to land your first deal. And now, this show. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. Super excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. We have two great people on the line with us. We got Anthony Vecino and Trevor Thompson with us. First of all, Anthony is a best-selling author, real estate investor, serial entrepreneur, committed to helping people maximize their return on life. Sounds like a great metric. I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit. He's co-founding partner of Invictus Capital, a multifamily acquisition firm based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with 15 million in assets under management that provides busy working professionals with the opportunity to invest better. He's also the host of the Multifamily Investing Made Simple podcast, author of Passive Investing Made Simple, and he believes that investing shouldn't be complicated, scary, or overwhelming. So that said, Anthony, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's always fun. I think uh, you know I, I've seen you a lot uh, on Instagram, um, a little less on uh, LinkedIn, but I know you're there a lot too. And you know, happy to finally air quotes meet you. So welcome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's the virtual meeting. It's in you know in the last year and a half. That's like the the real way to meet people now is on Zoom. Oh, I know, right? You know, and I, I did something crazy. I actually went and I had lunch with somebody last week. Whoa! Yeah, that's cr- I know. <laughs> It was just like, you know, hey, I've got this idea. I'm going to be like five miles from where you live. Let's Maybe we get lunch. together and like eat together. Yeah. And it was, it was just like what a foreign concept. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So and in, incidentally, I mean, this is this is very coincidental, but three weeks ago, we released a podcast with experienced aspiring investors just like this, had lunch with the experienced investor on that episode two days ago and the aspiring investor from the same episode I'm having lunch with tomorrow. So oh, very cool. Um, yeah. So. Very coincidental. But anyway, let's talk about you. So I read, read your bio and I think something was missing. There's also a brain dump podcast that you guys just started, right? Yeah. So earlier in, in 2021, Austin mm-hmm. Linney and I, we started a podcast called Brain Dump, which yeah. is all about studying the psychology of success. But success is such a it's such a loosey-goosey thing and we all get to define it how we want to. And so really the podcast is about exploring topics, deep topics that mm-hmm. I think affect us all things like, you know, vulnerability and what it means to achieve things, but then to lack fulfillment in those achievements and how that can be a real crisis of identity. And so that's been a really fun project for sure. 
Yeah. Now I've listened to a couple of episodes. I, I think when it launched, I listened to your your first episode and I spent a couple hours in the car, you know, on the way home and listened to a couple more and something something I really liked. And I mean, listeners don't know this, but we just talked about it. But I, I love the the call to action at the end at the end. Your mm-hmm. the podcast outro, you know, you come on, you're like, hey guys, you just listen to this, but it's not going to help you if you guys don't do anything about it. So very much appreciate that. And I might just steal that. I might change my outro mm-hmm. a little later and just say, hey guys, write something down, do something. Anyway, I very much appreciate that. I think that was pro tip right there for anybody else. Yeah. And maybe to like unpack that just a little bit for your audiences, you know, you're listening and you're consuming and you're getting a ton of great information from Brian and all his guests and like education is important, but unless you go and apply that, then, you know, it's just kind of wasted energy. And one of the ways that you can apply that and really make sure it sinks in is to take notes and then mm-hmm. create action steps out of that. So that you say, I really liked what Trevor said about this thing. I'm going to go put that into action in this way. And it just increases your likelihood of actually gaining forward momentum. Yeah. You know, and momentum is huge in in this business. You know, at Mm -hmm. first I thought if I just learn a little bit more, if I just learn a bit, and I think a lot of people fall into that. Most people call it analysis paralysis or vice versa. But for for the longest time, I was thinking, you know, if I learn a little bit more, I'll be able to, you know, complete everything. But Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize is number one, it's a momentum game. And number two, you actually learn more by doing, you know, you learn more by, you know, picking up a phone, making the, your first phone call to a broker or, you know, emailing your first offer to a broker. You know, mine was horrendous, but, you know, I learned a lot and it, it started, it was momentum for me is what it was. That was getting the ball rolling type thing, even though it was a terrible offer, you know, nothing backed up the number, but, you know, let's not talk about that anymore because that's embarrassing. No, yeah. just kidding. But anyway, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us an idea of your background and what got you into multifamily investing. Yeah. So, you know, going back to, my earliest years. So I have severe ADHD and that's been a kind of a defining thing of my life. So what that meant is coming out of college, I had all these degrees, but I knew that I wasn't really cut out to go the corporate route and working for other people. I had a, you know, just, I wouldn't say this issue with authority, but I definitely had this ability with being reliable and focused and and following through. And those don't make for a good employee. And so coming out of college, I knew I had to find my own path through through the world. And what I really valued a lot was time freedom and location freedom, the ability just to go and travel where I want when I wanted to. So for the next decade, I, I traveled as a professional rock climber, just had you know an innate ability there that I was blessed with. I could kind of grow. And to be a professional rock climber sounds kind of cool, but really all it means is that you live in the back of a, a van for 200 days out of the year and you live in the dirt and it's not like super glorious, but it was my life and I had full control over it. And that's what I really valued. But there came this point where I I had to crawl out of the dirt, so to speak, because I Mm -hmm. wanted to marry this woman and her her parents said, well, what are you going to do to provide for her? And I was like, well, that's a really good question. At that point, I didn't have a good answer. So I just went into the toolbox of skills that I had and I I was a writer. um, So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll start writing books. And that's what I did. I started writing Mm -hmm. science fiction, fantasy novels and a couple of years later, those were doing pretty well. The The girl left me, but the books were doing well. And that was great. But when the girl left me, you know, I was in this place where I was like, well, what's next? Like I did this thing because it was, it was for somebody else. It was going to get me to this end. Um, but 
I needed to to find that next thing. And at that point in my life, a buddy came to me and he said, Hey, well, let's build a window washing company together. And I was like, okay, all right. So it's a, yeah. That's unique. That's, that's cool. Let's try that. And it was a good intersection of our skill sets. We were rock climbers. So we were good on ropes. We could get up into these, these places that other people couldn't get. We could get there quickly. We had a good network and we built this really successful business out of hmm. just, you know, ropes and washing windows with squeegees and soap. And it was like, that ignited this interest, this love affair with building businesses. And so that's what I've been doing for the last decade is building increasingly complex businesses. And then real estate came into my life and real estate was the coolest business because it's so simple and straightforward, but you can do so much with it. So it's like Legos. Like when you're a kid, if you loved Legos, it wasn't because they were these complicated things. It's because they went together in simple ways that allowed your imagination to flourish. Mm -hmm. And that's what real estate investing was for me. I was like, wow, you can really do anything here. And so I started with small multifamilies and then started scaling from there. And that's just, you know, kind of my story is like one of trying to find my own path in real estate. I'm super fortunate that I found it when I did, because I feel like the universe tried to put it in front of me at a couple different points in my life and I kept ignoring it. So I was in college and my roommate and his dad were doing fix and flips. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But I, I really hate construction. I'm really not cut out for that. And that was my impression of what what real estate was. And right. so for the next decade, I was like, nope, I want to do that. And then a buddy came to me and he's like, do you want to buy quads? And I was like, well, that doesn't sound super fun, but I'll give you some money. So I was passive, passively investing before I even knew what that was. Mm-hmm. And And then, you know, you're just in the right place at the right time. The universe puts the message in front of you one last time and then you get the hint. And um, that for me, that moment was... I don't know what that moment is, to be honest, but the story that I tell is that I was driving into downtown Minneapolis, looked up at the skyline and was hit with that question, like, who actually owns all these buildings? Like, right. like at that point, you know, like, I was like 35 years old. I'd never really stopped to consider that question. Yeah. And then digging into that, that's really what unlocked multifamily investing. And was, mm-hmm. that's all just history from there. Nice, nice. Incidentally, I, I spent a little bit of time in the Twin Cities area. I was a student at the University of Minnesota for a little while. Oh, very cool. So, yeah. Um, so I know that skyline very well. That was long before I was pondering things like who owns those buildings. I was yeah. more pondering things like math equations, which sounds so <laughs> weird now. I mean, 20 years removed, it's just like I did I did that, really? Anyway, yeah. So so great story. You know, I, I like it. You know, serial entrepreneur built beginning. And I'll be honest, when you said I was a professional rock climber, you know, the first thing that came through my mind is, wow, that sounds cool. So I'm, I'm glad you and I'm glad you threw that disclaimer in there. I'm like, yeah, let's let's bring that down a little. Like it yeah. sounds cooler than it is. <laughs> I mean, that sounds it does sound cool, but but yeah, so so cool on that one. So let, let's talk a little bit more about uh, you know, you're getting into the multifamily investing. Tell us a little bit about. How, how that came about and, uh, you know, one of the properties or, or two, if you would. Yeah. So my, my beginning was house hacking an FHA loan on a triplex. I wanted to get in there, get my hands dirty and learn the processes with the idea that I was always going to start scaling into larger multifamily because there's a, there's a lot of benefits that come from scale. And I'm not necessarily talking like own a hundred or 200 unit apartment building. It was always, okay, let's get over that five unit hurdle so that we can get to that commercial loan valuation methodology. And so I, 
I did that for a little bit and then did a cash out refinance, roll that money into the next property, which is a little bit bigger, and then did that same process again and just kept rolling it forward. And in the early days for the first you know five or six deals, it was all with my own money. And then with started bringing on joint venture partners, like family members who we could take down these deals together. And then at the end of 2019, I partnered with my my partner, Dan Kruger, to form Invictus Capital. And we did our first syndication in January of 2020. And that's mm-hmm. where we took, for the very first time, you know, completely passive investors' uh, capital, people that we didn't necessarily know. Before that, it was like a lot of first-ring relationships, but now we were bringing in people that we didn't know. And it took us a long time to get to that place where we were comfortable even doing that because we're vertically integrated. So we do all the property management in-house. We have that. Mm -hmm. We have um, employees hired for that specific purpose. So we wanted to be really certain that we could do right by our investors because when I was a professional rock climber, like going back to that, like I was Mm -hmm. really in debt. I So I know like the value of a dollar and like how (laughs) far that can go in your life. And so when somebody is trusting us with their money, we look at that as like this very sacred responsibility because it's not just a dollar. It's actually their, a little bit of their time and their life that they exchanged for it. And so it, it took us a long time to feel comfortable actually bringing in passive investors, but mm-hmm. that's been our process. Now we, we now syndicate almost full-time. We still do a mix of joint ventures, but in the last year or so, we've, we've acquired around hundred units spread across smaller multifamily. I would say we, we specialize in that 20 to 40 unit range mm-hmm. because it's kind of an underserved demographic. We really like that. There's a lot of meat on the bone typically and not a lot of competition from big institutional investors. Yep. And we do this all in our backyard here in Minnesota. So it's uh, a lot of people don't think of Minnesota as being like a really great investment location. And that's great for us because it just means a little bit less competition. Yeah. You know, but you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul still has some of the lowest cap rates in the nation. So, oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of good stuff going down there. It's, it's a very um, robust economy. I mean, yeah. granted it, it's been 20 years since I've been there, but it, it's a bustling, bustling area. Um, yeah. And all the reasons that, uh, that were strong 20 years ago, they remain strong. It's, it's mm-hmm. super interesting. Once people start digging into what makes Minneapolis and St. Paul such an interesting market, they start to go, wait, why aren't, why haven't I heard of this before? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's interesting. If you look at all these top 10 lists, Minneapolis, like the Twin Cities usually comes in somewhere at like eighth or ninth on the list. And mm-hmm. people just don't look that deep on the list. Usually they're like, if it's not the top three, if it's not Austin, Nashville or San Antonio, like who cares? And yeah. it's like, I don't know, top 10 is still pretty good. So, I mean, I mean, and here's the other fact you got to look at is when you look at those top 10 lists, you've got Sunbelt, you've got nine Sunbelt cities in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And most people are like, eh, I'll just stick in the Sunbelt. You know, I'll, yep. I'll, I'll go where it's warm and sunny, not where it's, uh, you know, negative 17 degrees, you know, on a warm morning in December. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think the area is super nice. And I know a lot of people who are investing in that area. And I think maybe I'll stop saying that just so I can guard your, your little secret, Yeah. Stop you know? sending people to us. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, what's market. interesting is it is it is a bit of like a, a locals market mm-hmm. in the sense that a lot of the things transact off market if you have to know the players and mm-hmm. there's in most cities there's probably 10 or 12 people who control the vast majority of the supply in that market mm-hmm. and if you don't know them then it's going to be really hard to transact with them and so we're in a fortunate position because Minnesotans they like to deal with other Minnesotans and so mm-hmm. a lot of those old guys that have been in the business for 30 plus years and they have thousands of units just and they're they're looking to you know ride off into the sunset now and start to you know sell off their portfolio we're the first people that they call because we're we're the locals and they yeah. they like locals yeah you know and and the other thing you said I mean you're talking about the 20 to 40 unit niche I think that's a dead zone I think you hit the nail on the head you know it's it's 
it's a little bit, it's out of the reach of, you know, a lot of your high income professionals, you know, a lot of doctors mm-hmm. and, and lawyers and such will, will take some of their excess capital and pour it into real estate. But, you know, 20 is usually, you know, about the limit, you know, maybe they can yeah. get a 12 plex or something like that. And you're right. The, the bigger guys don't play in that 40 and we've got a handful of assets in that range. And the thing that we've had the hard time is finding a management company that does well on that side. And sounds That's like exactly you guys, right. have, yeah, you guys hit the, you already figured that out vertically integrated. So um, yeah. And, and vertically integrating with the idea that if we can cluster our properties in particular mm-hmm. neighborhoods that we really like, then yeah. they're functionally like owning a large complex. And so yeah. that, that takes understanding the neighborhood and then also being boots on the ground local there. And so we get to play to all our, our unique strengths and avoid all our, our weaknesses, which, you know, we have many weaknesses, so yeah. it's good to try to avoid them. You know, and our, our last two acquisitions, um, we had a 40 unit and a 28 unit. And I mean, we're, we're looking for the, the, the triple digit number units, but what we really liked about these units is both of them were within a half mile of an 80 plus unit apartment mm. complex that we already owned. Yep. And, and that was our philosophy as well. It's like, you know, it's a 40 unit, which we wouldn't normally look at, but it's a 40 unit, three blocks from an 80. So and it's kind of like a 120. It's kind of like a 120. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the, the 28 is a couple of blocks from another 80 plus unit. And it's kind of like, a, you know, another 120. You know? so, and what's um, interesting there is when you're a lot of newer investors, they get it in their head that they have to start with 100 or 200 units. And mm-hmm. that, can be a, that can be a hard first jump. But if you start thinking about it, like, well, maybe we piece together a 40 and then a 20 and then a, another 30, like you can get there quicker without having to make these quantum yeah. leaps between yeah, you know, there, there's there's different philosophies of doing it. That that's how we chose to do it. I mean, our first was uh, we we bought two properties in a portfolio. It was a 39 and a 16. You know, so mm-hmm. you know, not not huge properties by any stretch of the imagination. And and then from there, we ended up scaling to where, you know, the the one that we're closing on in a couple of weeks is uh, 144. You know, so. Mm-hmm. You, you can still get there. And I yep. mean, I also know people who have done the hundred plus on their first, uh, first deal and my hat's off to them. It's usually co GP with somebody bigger, somebody who's yeah. been there and, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that either. That's, that's also a very, very valid way of getting in. I mean, bottom line, there, there's lots of ways to do it. I think, I yeah. think the way you did it is respectable and it's, it's uh, something that you start small and you keep on rolling into something bigger, rolling into something bigger, rolling. I think that's a very responsible way of scaling. You know, you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't jump into that 120 unit and realize, oh my gosh, this is difficult because you've Mm -hmm. had that, that chance with the threeplex, you know, that FHA loan threeplex, and then, you know, move on from there. But uh, yeah, it's one of the hardest things. And I learned this, you know, I have a manufacturing business and one of the things that we've always been so is in the struggle is like not outgrowing yourself and growing mm-hmm. too quickly. Yeah. And like, we have very ambitious growth goals and places that we want to be with, you know, our portfolio, but we also recognize that we're limited based off of the fact that we have property management in-house. And so you know, when we add a hundred units on, we've also added on a hundred units of actual yeah. operational work. And so we need to be be sure that we can take that on. So it, it slows our growth, but what it does mm-hmm. in the long term is it allows us to go a little bit faster 
on a 10 year horizon. I think it's like Tony Robbins probably said it where it's like we underestimate or we overestimate what we can do in a year, underestimate what we can do in five. And yeah. so we always take like that, that five, 10 year horizon and try mm-hmm. to build for that rather than for the one year. So we're, we're a little slower out of the gates than other people typically, but you know, we've yeah. been doing this for six or seven years and we're happy with where we're at. You know, and I'll tell you um, something that you, me and my partners have talked about a lot is eventually vertically integrating, you know, and, and it's, mm. it's something that, you know, if you're scaling, once you get to a certain point, it makes sense for a lot of reasons to, to vertically integrate. I mean, you guys, you know, knocked that, uh, knocked that out of the park early on. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a good way to grow. You know, you, you already said it, it's, it's a slower growth, but nothing wrong with that. Nothing yeah. Well, proper, it's it's funny because building out the property management is just like hiring. You either mm-hmm. do it too soon or you do it too late. Those are the only options. Yeah. And so like we went into it knowing we're going to do it too soon and mm-hmm. that's okay. We're going to, we're going to grow into this. And for us, that was saving us the opportunity cost of waiting till too late, which we're going to pay the cost one way or the other. It's just a matter of when. Or picking the wrong property manager, which, you know, a lot yeah. of people do. Yeah, we we've bounced around from property management company. I think we found one that we we found one that we really like so far. Um, been with them for three months now, and I, I think that's going to be a game changer for us. Nice. But uh, yeah, all right. So so that said, let's uh, let's talk about what I like to call your big burning why. And you talked a little bit about why earlier, but if you could distill it down, talk about you know a couple sentences or, or less. What's your why? I think my my big why is helping people maximize their return on life. And for me, mm-hmm. when I think about my life and the places that I was the most stressed out and lost, it had to do with money, like being in debt and being a rock climber and like mm-hmm. not knowing what I was supposed to be doing with my money, investing in all these things. It was just so overwhelming. And so when I look around at like my family, I have eight brothers and sisters, um, big military family, mm-hmm. and most of them actually all of them don't don't know what they're doing with their money. They don't have a financial plan for retirement. They're just kind of doing what they've been told. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, this is a problem that I can help solve. I can help yeah. them solve this. And that's my big burning why is to help them remove the financial burden from their life so that they are free to focus on solving the problems that mean the most to them. So without mm-hmm. having to worry about like, where am I, am I saving enough? Am I on track for retirement and not having to take jobs because it pays the best, but you know, because it means the most to them. So yeah. that's, that's my big burning why. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I, I grew up, my kids grew up in a military family. You know, my, my dad, uh, you know, worked for the post office for 30 something years and we never talked about money in my house. I mean, it was, um, you know, when we did talk about money, it was, you know, how little there was, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I find, I find the same thing, you know, now as a 40 something year old guy, my siblings and my, my, my wife's siblings are asking me for the advice. How, how should we set up our investments? How should we do this? How should we do that? You know, and I, I think you're right. A lot of people just don't learn that, you know, it, it's not, uh, it's not taught in school. And if it was taught in school, I'd wonder, you know, what curriculum they'd use anyway, you know, it's kind yeah. of, uh probably the conventional wisdom index funds, you know, throw all your money yep. in index funds, set it and forget it. But so what's next for you? So, you know, we're a couple of things is one, we're, we're publishing a book in next month called passive investing made simple. And that's mm-hmm. been the, the work of the last year and a half in conjunction with uh, Jake and Gino, because passive investing for me is like one of the best investment vehicles out there. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the best, but you know, I, I won't get on my soapbox, but the problem is that most people don't realize it's out there or that it's accessible. It feels overwhelming. It's not part of the mainstream dialogue. And nope. so that's, that's our attempt to help just add another resource into the community for people just to 
to be have an opportunity to see that this is something that they could participate in. So, you know, there's that aspect of it. And then right now we're we're in a growth phase and still just acquiring here in, in the Twin Cities. And um, one of the coolest things is when when you get to the point where you can start to hire and bring people into your your company, into your community. Mm-hmm. And start to positively impact the lives of your employees, your residents, your investors. And like for us, we've been we're at that point now where we're we're growing as a family, as a team. And that's that's just such a rewarding thing to be able to look and say, like, wow, we're in this together. And like, I don't know, just there's there's something about leaving a meaningful impact on as many lives as possible. That's like super compelling to me at this point. And yeah. so that's where, that's what we're really focused on right now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot, lot of good stuff there. So Jake and Gino, I, I bought tickets for their, I think they have an October uh, get yeah. together. Are you going to be there? Yeah. I, I suppose oh. I'm supposed to be on the stage at some point doing oh, something. Nice. I don't know. Maybe yeah. dancing or uh, maybe we yeah. can actually, you know, meet in person. Dude, we should get lunch. If that's yeah. I mean, is that, is that possible? Can we, can we I think so. I think we right. I think we're gonna make it happen. That'd be sweet. Trevor, are you gonna are you gonna be there too? I'm gonna be there. So as long Heck as you yeah. buy me to lunch, we're good. Perfect. Yeah. We got a lunch. There set we go. Up. Nice. Yeah, lunch date already set. So Perfect. Orlando, right? Yep. I think so. Yep. All right. Yeah, Great. Orlando. Yeah. So I, I might as well. That's buy gonna be so much fun. Now. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a blast. Um mm-hmm. I, I love the Jake and Gino community. I mean, they they've got a bunch of raving fans and you know, part of me just wants to see, you know, why everybody, why everybody I talk to about Jake and Gino just love the program, you yeah, know? So um, they do it right because they're, 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 it's not a puppy mill. They're mm-hmm. not trying to just turn out students that are paying them and maybe going to do deals with them in the future. Like they just want to see you succeed. They, they mm-hmm. want genuinely for you to succeed and that. It's just refreshing. And honestly, like when it comes to getting the education or getting proximity to networks, like it's, it's hard to do better than that. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I'm, I'm excited and glad that you guys both are going to be there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's two people I know already. Boom. Boom. <laughs> the introvert in me is going to be just fine showing up to this event. So, <laughs> yep. Um, I will come and find you, Brian. Don't worry. I'll rescue you. Perfect. Introverts. Perfect. We will unite. We, we, yeah. Separately in our base, separately in our own over zoom. Yes. But in spirit, so, yes. Yeah, but we are totally, totally. All right. So let's let's formally introduce Trevor now. Ooh. Trevor, not new to real estate at all. He's been an LP in 13 syndications, you know, between you know, multifamily and different property types. Um, he's got a single family rental portfolio fund that he's invested in and you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, we might talk about a little bit of that, but uh, he's now looking to you know get into the GP side of multifamily. So Trevor, welcome to the show. Awesome. It's great to be here. Yeah. Great to have you on here. And uh, you're in one of the hottest cities for real estate, you know, in, in the nation right now. I mean, we, we talked about how Minnesota's getting hot, but uh, you're in Austin. Wow. Yeah. yeah so. it, it's absolutely insane here. So clearly I'm not looking at anything in Austin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, we were talking about Elon Musk, you know, prior to hitting the record button, but uh he went on record a couple of months ago and said, you know, Austin's going to be the hottest city in the next 10 years, you know? So yeah. if you believe Elon Musk as a prophet, I mean, he believes in Austin enough to, to drop a, you know, multi-billion dollar Tesla facility there. So I guess so, but I uh, guess yeah, he, he's got to know something. Yeah. And he's bringing yeah. a lot of it here as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a lot of exciting stuff happening in your neck of the woods, but uh, uh, let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I have a very short and eclectic life, Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm Canadian originally, so we're very close to Minnesotans. We all sort of talk and 
act yeah. the same and eat pickerel. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's great. Um, I've been in the attraction business my whole life. So started at age 13 with Ripley's, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Age 18, worked for Guinness World Records for 18 years. Nice. Um, moved to Orlando, Florida, and of all things, opened up a haunted house. Mm-hmm. And then across the street, they opened this strange thing called indoor skydiving. Yeah. And I got recruited by a headhunter and spent the last 21 years um, working with them. And sadly, that ended my career. But it also started another career mm-hmm. because the owner of that company really wanted to talk to people about investing. And so he bought us all the Purple Bible, uh, nice. Robert Kiyosaki's book. Yeah. And he, he bought all the employees that he had a financial advisor come and talk to us. And although I was too busy still doing my life to take mm-hmm. it serious, I knew it was something that I needed to do. And I yeah. just, again, I was busy doing my life and I, I, I didn't do it. And it was always in the back of my mind. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about the indoor skydiving. Um, COVID kind of, I, I lived right next to one in the DC area in Gaithersburg. And I, I think yeah. we, we talked about it earlier, you know, several months ago, actually, but two Christmases ago, I told my daughter, you know, I'm like, Hey, she, she was 17 at the time. Part of your Christmas present is I'll take you to the indoor skydiving place and we'll just have a blast. And two months later, everything shut down because of COVID and it hadn't opened up before we left. But uh, yeah, we, we moved out of there too, not too long ago. But anyway, yeah, I'm a little disappointed. I wanted to try that indoor skydiving thing, but there'll, there'll be another time, right? But yeah, interesting. I mean, your, your boss buys everybody the rich dad, poor dad, which I don't know if that helps retention or not. I mean, everybody starts reading it and they're like, I'm working for him. What? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he wanted to inspire people to be entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I give him that. I mean, he, yeah. and, and I already was, you know, I was pretty active in doing different things and I'd had a few consulting businesses in between there. And, uh, um, but it, it opened my eyes to the real estate for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he talks a lot about commercial real estate in his book, you know, and there, there, there's a lot of, a lot of examples where he's talking about, you know, I don't think he uses the word syndication ever, but that's, that's exactly what he's investing in. I mean, he wrote the book in the '90s. You know, SEC rules have changed since, but he's talking about syndications. You know, he's talking about multifamily. He's talking about retail syndications, and that's yeah, that was that was clear to me after getting into the game, and it wasn't so clear to me, you know, when I read it first time. But uh, um, so, thirteen syndications is what you're invested in. Just curious, which one's your favorite? Oh boy, I could be for I any reason. One. Yeah, I don't know if I have one yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, because I'll be honest, uh, okay. at the beginning. Um, my investments, the first few that I made are pretty rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if I just had went, wow, this isn't working out. If I didn't believe in the process and that I would find the right ones, mm-hmm. I, I probably would have stopped. Yep. Um, cause, cause they've all really underperformed and got really damaged during COVID. Yeah. Um, so since then I've done a few that I'm more excited about. Mm-hmm. Probably the most excited about is the A plus facility up in Denton, Texas, um, and one of the things that I try to do to just increase my own education is I'm an annoying LP that always says, how can I help you? How can I help you? Yeah. How can I help you? And eventually that, that particular GP said, oh, you could do some research for us on smart apartments. And so I did it, you know, and they haven't pulled the trigger yet. But my theory was always to earn and learn. Yeah. 
And so I wanted to be able to put an investment in something, but I also wanted to, which is why my portfolio is fairly diverse, you know, and some of it truly is COVID. So here in Austin, for example, we bought townhomes and we're turning them into condos Mm -hmm. and never was bought for cash flowing, never was bought for the rent income. Uh, And then for 18 months, we couldn't evict the month to month tenants. Yeah. And then once you could evict them, all the offices were closed down so you couldn't get a building permit to renovate. I get that the challenges certainly are there for those. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, COVID is something I don't think anybody could predict. You know, I mean, we, we had, uh, you know, three assets that we, we were managing and one under contract. And uh, I mean, they were all affected in some way. And it's just, you know, some are affected a little more than others, depending on location and your business plan. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. But it also produced some opportunities for me as well. So we had a, a property that I'm invested in as an LP. It was actually my first one. Mm-hmm. And when I got furloughed, I called up the GP and said, man, I got nothing but time now, at least for two months. And so they made me the asset manager of that property. So I got nice. to be an asset manager as an LP. And then they fired the property managed. So we self-managed, but we weren't ready. Mm-hmm. So again, you just I kept learning and learning and learning. Um, and then eventually they took it back over after they sold some properties, they had some more staff that could take care of it. But, um, man, you talk about a learning curve going into a deep value add and in your third month of doing it, COVID hits. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn a lot. (laughs) All right. Well, let's, uh, you know, once again, my, my favorite question for everybody, you know, what's your big burning why? You know, so my why is always to be able to create something that benefits other people's lives. I think it's very similar to that. So when I look at apartment real estate, I look at creating a good community where people, where we improve their living conditions. Um, we act as landlords that actually care about them as tenants. Um, and then we provide a great place for people to work. Mm-hmm. And then I'd also like to create an environment where if we do all of those things, I think the investors are going to get taken care of, but I really, really want to take it to the next level that the people that are involved in the projects that I have that work there have an opportunity to participate in some way Mm -hmm. um, where we incentivize them on our success. And I just think that creates a, a, you know, the circle of life kind of deal. The win, 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 win. Tenants are going to be better. We do it. The investors are going to be better. I'm going to go to bed at night thinking, you know, look at, you know, everyone involved here has got some sort of gain out of this if they want to apply themselves. So here we go now, Uh, Trevor. So here comes my favorite part of the podcast. I just asked you my favorite question. Got a lot of favorites here. We got Anthony on the line. What do you want to ask him? I've been really, really struggling to get that first deal. I'm, you know, and it's a combination of all kinds of factors, right? Analysis paralysis. I'm in a hot market. It's hard to compete, you know, and, and just it's absolutely frustrating that a highly intelligent, highly committed person like myself in nine months hasn't landed a deal. It's mm. very frustrating. And I keep thinking, what am I doing wrong? So first of all, you're not doing anything wrong. I, I would look at it through the lens of maybe this will give it a little consolation, right? So at the start of 2020, we we did a deal in January, a heavy value add, right before COVID hit. And then we looked every single day for the rest of 2020 and didn't do another deal until November. So 11 months, we, we looked high and low, scoured our market every which way. We did that deal in November. And then 
the next deal that we did is the deal that we're doing right now. So seven, eight months. And this is with you know, full-time employees whose only job it is to go out there and find the deal. So one is like, just recognize that real estate, finding the deals, it can take a really long time. It becomes really frustrating, but it is a, it's a numbers game. And so the question is, how many deals are you seeing per week? How many are you underwriting? How many LOIs are you actually submitting? So that that's where I would start is like, how many deals do you currently have flowing into your inbox? Whether that's through brokers or through off-market leads. Yeah. So I have a decent deal flow. Um, mm-hmm. I have a weakness that I'm not a good underwriter and I've burned through several that have helped me. I paid for it. One month I spent $1,100 on underwriting mm-hmm. um, just so I could look at all these deals. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I felt like I was flushing all that money down the toilet I've offered people like, Hey, I'll give you a piece of the deal. If you do my under, it's very frustrating. So that's part of my problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Lately it's tidied up a little bit because I got some better partners, but, and I'll be honest, I have pulled the the gun out of the holster and have not fired until last night. I actually hit submit on my first two LOIs. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, um, my heart was pounding. It was kind of strange. Yeah, it's, yeah. scary. it's scary. Um, it's scary. Good though. I mean, so you said the word, the letters LOI. So you were light years ahead of my first offer. Okay. My first offer was an email with a number. I didn't even know what an LOI was. <laughs> All right. But, uh, you know, I'll say from, from the time that I walked my first multifamily property, the time that we closed was about 16, 17 months, yeah. you know? So, you know, you, you going nine months without getting something is, is not out of the ordinary, but uh, end of the day, you know, you, you got to put out more LOIs to, to be able to get them. And yep. to, to that point, I, I just say, you know, have some, a certain amount of criteria and may, maybe, I don't know, I don't know what your, your process is, but you got a certain level of criteria where you can do high level underwriting. You can, you can, may be able to save yourself a little bit of time and money, you know, before, you know, kicking it to somebody else. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely working on that. I can see that is something that would bring me good value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, Mar- Brian mentioned it, nailed it on the head there is it's a numbers game. So you have to submit more LOIs, but you have, you have no control over when the, that perfect deal is going to come up. And so in the meantime, you really need to be working on two things in particular. One is honing your skills and honing your network. And so one is like you've already identified underwriting is a weakness. Well, you can solve that in one of two ways. Either you become a better underwriter or you find a partner who is a good underwriter. Even paying for somebody to do your underwriting, that's okay. But unless you can look at that and really understand it and work backwards, like you're going to always be vulnerable. So be using this time to say, okay, the deals are going to come. I don't have control over that. But in the meantime, here's what I'm going to work on. Here's what I'm really good at. Like identify your strengths and identify your weaknesses, and then use that as a template to go and find the perfect partner who has all the, the complementary strengths and weaknesses. And that's where my partner, Dan and I, like, he's a, he's a, a, an amazing underwriter. I'm, I'm okay. I know enough to be able to work backwards from his underwriting and be like, this is legit and good, but it's not where it's not what sparks my soul with joy. And so for me and my uh, my success in this has been really tied to Dan and the fact that his strengths are my weaknesses and my strengths are his weaknesses. So it, it's frustrating when you want that first deal, but just recognize like it will come with enough reps, 
But right now you need to be putting in more reps, more LOIs, more submissions. And that fear, it's always there. But just remember an LOI, like even if it gets accepted, you don't have to move forward. Yeah. You know, I, I had a little fear of, you know, part of it was, you know, what happens if I put in an offer and it doesn't get accepted, but I also had the same fear. What if I put the offer in and it does get accepted? Even worse. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it, it, you know, from, from a certain perspective, you know, from, from the guy who who's trying to get in the game, it's, it sure is a lot easier to have a bunch of offers not accepted, you know, because yeah. you can just keep on doing what you're doing, doing what you're comfortable with, but uh, yeah, spend time out of your comfort zone. And that's, that's when you're going to get the movement do the things that make yourself the outlier, you know, get out of that yeah. comfort zone, be the outlier, be the Elon Musk, you know, so to speak. Yeah. People listening didn't, you know, catch the, uh, the earlier conversation, but, uh, it, you know, we all, we all understand. So we were fanboying a little bit about Elon. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Man crush, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I've definitely put it out there because I am in the hottest market that, you know, I have energy. I mean, I've gone probably two dozen times and looked at deals for other people mm-hmm. with no promise of even getting in the deal, just in hopes more of aligning myself with somebody I had a conversation with. We connected. We seem to have similar values. Hey, if you get something and you need somebody to drive to Houston, you know, I mean, I literally drove to Houston, did an hour tour and drove back. I mean, it was mm-hmm. seven hours for somebody. I listened to a lot of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, stuff like that moves a needle. It really does, you know. Does. Um, so, yeah, showing showing that you're willing to put forth effort like that a lot of times will move the needle. Yeah. So it's it's one of the, you know, we talked about the return on life metric. One Another powerful metric that I you can't measure, it's return on karma. And like putting in that time and that energy and doing good for other people and without expectation of necessarily it leading to anything concretely. I think the problem people get into is when they look too transactionally at, well, I'll go look at this property for you, but it, it's going to cost you this. And it's like in the early days, that's, that's a hard line to take because yeah. if you treat everything transactionally and like, no, people want yeah. relationships. They don't want transactions. So yeah. I think you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and even helping with the GPs, you know, after I was doing it for a while, they said, what, what do you want from us? And I said, I want nothing. I want to give you first and then when I get my first deal and I need a sponsor, I want you to remember I did a good job for you. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the deal just like you would any other deal, but at least you know my character when I come to ask for you to be my one of my sponsors for you know an agency debt or something. Yeah. Yeah. And you probably have this because you seem like a like a pretty self-aware dude, Trevor. But for people listening at home that maybe haven't thought about this, is like when you're going to partners or prospective people that you want to work with, it's it's not their job to figure out how you can help them. So when you when you go and you say things like, How can I help you? That's a great question. But in the back of your head, you should already have identified where your strengths are and what you could do to help them and, and like articulate that for them. Otherwise, when you ask me, how can I help you? That's really just giving me homework. But if you say, here's what I'm good at, I'll go do property tours. I'm great at asset management and working with the tenants. Like Then it's like, okay, I know what this guy can do for me. So if you're listening at home and you're like, you've just been going to people and saying, how can I add some value to you? It's like, do, do some homework and figure out how you can add the value and then tell me how, how you can do it. Yeah. And, and part of what I was able to bring too is when I worked for iFly, I actually opened 46 of our 80 locations around the world. So I know how to take over a business, start a business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that's very helpful um, that I have had that background. Yeah. No, it's yeah. a hugely, it's a hugely invaluable skill. That's massive. We have an iFly actually. I just thought about it now, like a couple, like two yeah, miles away. Right. Opened it up two years ago. Three yeah. Years ago. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, the one, <laughs> I know the one, our grand opening got canceled because it was minus 38. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Minnesota will do that. <laughs> minus 38 canceled yeah. the grand opening. I'm, I'm just like, Woo, baby. Yep. and you were nice snuggle up warm in your hotel thinking, I'm so glad no, I didn't even here. go up for it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Luckily I hadn't bought a ticket. So, yeah. So, so pro tip for, you know, anybody in, you know, downtown Minneapolis or St. Paul, you can get from one side of downtown to the other without going outside. It's amazing. Skyways. Yeah. It's the coolest thing. You yeah. either, you can go on the skyway tour. You can tour the entire downtown. Never step outside. It's amazing. Yeah. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. University of Minnesota campus, you know, same way. They have the gopher way, a series of tunnels and, and, and the skyways where you can go from once again, one side of campus to the other without going outside, you know? So there, there, there are legitimately a couple, sure. there are a, yeah. a couple days of the year that will try to kill you. But so yeah. you, we want to try to avoid going outside sometimes. <laughs> and, and I will say getting across campus, there, there's one or two sprints. You know, if you have to go, yeah. if you literally have to go from one side of campus to the other, there, there's a couple of, you know, 20 meter sprints, but uh, yeah. it toughens you up. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, good enough. Well, we're, we're about out of time. Um, thank you to both of you for coming on the show today. Great episode. A lot of good conversation here. Last question for each of you, Anthony, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah. So come find me at InvictusMultifamily.com. Like I mentioned before, we have a book coming out in August called Passive Investing Made Simple. So if that's something that you're, you've been thinking about, you want to learn more, like how to find sponsors, how to vet them, because that's the number one thing and how to look at deals and vet markets, then that's going to be a really good resource for you. So go check that out. Perfect. And Trevor, same question for you. Yeah. Best places on LinkedIn, K. Trevor Thompson on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm active, very active on both. All right. Perfect. And we'll put uh, put links to your guys' uh, websites and uh, profiles in, in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you guys' time today. That was our Thanks, pleasure. Brad. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.